Hello and welcome to our special edition Open Championship Preview Podcast from Golf Shake. My name is Kieran Clark, and as I am always done, I am joined by my good friend and colleague from Golf Shake, Mr. Owen Davis. Owen, how are you today? And have you been enjoying the sizzling British summer of golf that we've had this year? Uh, I'm good, Kieran. Uh, nice to hear from you again. Um, yeah, I am enjoying it. I'm getting a bit sick of it, to be honest. I'm sick like, of it? Yeah, yeah I, don't, I, don't do, I don't do well in heat. I don't like it. It's too hot. Um, and the golf courses are too brown now. So after the, having a soggy and cold winter, we're now moaning that it's too hot here in the UK. So it is warm. Especially it's, down it's, in the south, Kieran. I mean, Scotland's obviously just cold all the time. But you know. Oh, well, we actually had uh, the hottest temperature recorded in history in Scotland uh, a couple of weeks ago, which was, was 30... Like 20 degrees, was it something? <laughs> it was 32 degrees, I think it was, 32 and a half degrees, and that was in the wonderful town of Motherwell. So <laughs> if you ever go to Motherwell, then it's a, it's a hot spot, apparently. But yes, it was extremely warm here, actually, a couple of weeks ago. Not so much now. Uh, but it's to pick up again over the weekend coming up before the Open, but it has been very hot of late, very dry. Uh, but again, you've kind of just encapsulated everything that's wrong with the public in Britain where you're never happy, are you? One minute it's too cold, it's too wet, then it's too hot, oh, I can't cope with the heat, oh, but yeah, I'm going to go on holiday somewhere and sunny. Well, doesn't make any sense. These nah. people, they love to complain about everything. No, I think most people are very grateful uh, for the weather we've had after what was a pretty horrendous uh, winter and spring. So and it's been a, obviously an intriguing year for golf courses in that they've had, a, again, a pretty horrific start to the season and then the complete antithesis of that throughout the summer. And that's led to, you know, obviously very dry golf courses, very firm fairways, fast and all the rest of it. So it's been a interesting one and it sets up actually this whole link season that we're having through the British Isles quite spectacularly which of course is going to be headlined by the 147th Open from Carnoustie Golf Links which we'll talk about on this week's podcast and Owen of course you know the Open itself we all look forward to it particularly in the British Isles it's our major it's the one that stands out it's obviously unique from the rest and the rest of them are all played in the United States on generally very similar golf courses. Obviously, the Open is Lynx Golf, a completely different kind of examination paper, if you like, for the players and what they would normally face on tour, which is intriguing for that reason itself. Uh, of course, the, the event has you know an extraordinary amount of history going back to 1860. You know, all the greats have won here. It has an enduring legacy. Each of the Open venues have their own distinct character and their own kind of heritage. And every time we go to an open venue every decade or so, it feels like a an, an individual event. It feels special in its own right. And certainly Carnoustie is, is no exception to that. So Owen, for you, when the Open comes around every July, you know what makes that championship so special? And, and what have been some of your favourite memories of the Open through the years? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously it's, it's slightly weird for for, for UK, uh, you know, a British person to answer that one because it is our home major. So... I think for me, it signals, obviously, it's high summer, it's middle of the golfing season, the weather's usually fantastic, uh, occasionally occasionally not, but usually fantastic. Um, and I think it's just, you know, it, it's a chance for us to showcase the, the links courses that we have here, which are absolutely brilliant. And for, for, for every open venue, there's a dozen others around it that, uh, that are really, really good quality high quality links golf and it is just so different to anything else that we play so I think more so than anything 
else it, you get to see you know way you know the game was invented the way it was played um and the rest of the world sees some of the some of the courses that we have to offer here so i think for me it's super exciting to see how the best in the world deal with that challenge um you know because the rest of the year we just whether it's the european tour or the or the pj tour you just watch the same type of golf over and over and over again so um this is a chance to see something mm. different Oh, it certainly is, and that's always a, a real appeal of the Open, and actually it sort of stands out more and more as time goes on, as the, the rest of Tour Golf becomes increasingly uh, one-dimensional. There's kind of a, a misconception, I think, from a lot of golfers on, in America, where they seem to think that everybody in the European Tour plays Lynx Golf all the time, where the reality is they play essentially the same amount as they do, which is very little. And there's only you know three or four events in the European Tour schedule that actually are uh, Lynx Golf, and in the end... A lot of the Americans will play them anyway, and of course we have this kind of link season now on the European Tour, very kind of reminiscent of the the grass court season in tennis, where you have this kind of succession of weeks back to back: the Irish Open, the Scottish Open from Gullen, and indeed uh, the Open Championship from Carnoustie. Then actually the week after that, you have the Ladies Scottish Open from also from Gullen, and indeed the Senior Open Championship from the Old Course at St Andrews. So there's a kind of four week stretch of golf right throughout July, which is kind of showcasing different parts of the country in the UK and Ireland and presenting, like you say, you know, these great golf courses. And again, kind of highlighting the, the great courses that are around them. You know, people ask me all the time, you know, coming to St Andrews, you know, what are the courses in the surrounding area? And it's a case of, well, you know, there's so many of them. There's a big coast of, of Lynx courses. You know, they're all they a variety of prices, but they're all of a very good standard. And in many ways, you might even enjoy them more than you would actually the marquee course. So I think that's certainly the case for Carnoustie. You know, you have great courses around there, like Monty Fief and Montrose and Panmure, and they're all, you know, they're fantastic layouts in their own right and uh, would really stand alone in a different part of the country. But they actually complement uh, the championship course at Carnoustie and indeed the three courses there in its entirety. So they're, they're great areas for golf. But you know, and for me, thinking back in the Open, and I've kind of grown up uh, attending the Open as a kid and as a teenager through the years, you know, going basically every year and uh, spending most of the week there and then just you know seeing the best players up close and sampling that kind of unique atmosphere that you get in the open uh, kind of the, the stadium feel of like the 18th hole and there's no quite it's not no atmosphere in golf quite like the 18th hole at the open uh, that kind of again the, kind of the amphitheater of the big grandstands the very respectful kind of uh, a bit enthusiastic uh, applause for the players when they walk up the last hole it's a very unique thing and the players you know, embrace that as well but for me you know, I think back to a lot of the opens I've attended as being your know, highlights. Um, one that always stands out to me is actually the, the 2005 Open here at St Andrews, where you had, for a variety of reasons, one, it was actually quite a dry summer, a bit like this. So the old course was playing very firm and fast, uh, kind of burnt fairways and that sort of thing. And you had Jack Nicholas retiring from the game on the Friday, you know, you know, waving goodbye to the game that he had made his own for decades. Uh, an amazing finish, birdie in the last hole. He buried the first hole and the last hole that week. Uh, missed the cut on Friday by a couple of shots, but he it was an extraordinary atmosphere and uh, the setting there is the stands were filled and the, the town, was, people were hanging out the windows and things. It was just uh, an amazing finish for, for Jack's career. And also that week we had indeed Tiger Woods winning his uh, second Open Championship at St Andrews. But of course people will remember uh, Colin Montgomery finished second uh, that year, and on the Saturday they they went head to head in the Saturday round. And I mean, 
you know, Monty was going for the win. He had the home crowd behind him against Tiger. I mean, it was just a, it was thrilling. You know, Tiger in the end won fairly comfortably in, in the last few holes, but it was a, a great championship. And actually, another one that stands out for me is indeed the 2007 Open at Carnoustie for a variety of uh, reasons. Though, and obviously, it was a great finish there with Harrington and Garcia, exciting, all the rest of it, and it was uh, unpredictable, some disasters and some greatness in there. But for me, attending it, it was impressive for a, a variety of reasons. You know, I, I remember. Sitting on the 18th grandstand at Carnoustie on the Friday afternoon, late in the day, watching guys try and make the cut. And bizarrely, well, not so much bizarrely, but kind of uh, horrifically, behind me, there was these young lads who had consumed far too much alcohol, I'm afraid. And they were literally vomiting all over the grandstand. And Owen, you haven't lived until you've heard the sound of vomit hit metal like that. And I mean, it's a sound that has stuck with me ever since. It was quite staggering. And another thing, actually, that week... Uh, one thing that stands out to me is the best par that I have ever seen in my life in person. Yeah. Actually, on a golf course, I saw that week. Now, year one, Owen, at the 18th at Carnist this year was pretty good too. But this one was even better than that. No, I can't believe the, the best, surely. <laughs> well, yours was, was the best I've seen on that hole. There you go. That's uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's my way of uh, saving you there. But, um, but yeah, so on the 16th hole, which we'll talk about, a little bit later at Carnoustie, I was standing up next to the tee there, and Tony Jacklin. Yes, he was still playing golf in two thousand and seven. The former Open champion of nineteen sixty nine. He was sixty three years of age, and Tony Jacklin on literally topped his tee shot ten yards off the tee into the rough. I mean, staggering! The worst shot I've ever seen in person from a professional golfer. Incredible. But you know what he did? He pulled out a hybrid in the rough, and he put the ball to within two uh, four feet. And he made a free. So he made he made a free from the rough ten yards short of the tee. It was the most ridiculous part I've ever seen, but a great one at that. And that was his last open championship, and probably for good reason. But it was, but there we go. It was an amazing par. So that, those are my kind of ones that stand out for me in my head right now. There are other ones, of course. And I remember the two thousand nine Open being there all week and following Tom Watson as he almost created history at Turnberry, but. I've always been, I've enjoyed attending the Open through the years, and those memories are, are a big part of my kind of childhood and growing up with a game of golf. So, Owen, what are kind of the, the Opens that you think back on that you think are the ones that stood out as being the, the best or the most memorable? Yeah, well, I, I, I went to St Andrews in 2000, um, mm-hmm. fairly, fairly young, well, not that young, 19, 18, uh, and that made a big impression on me watching Tiger um, just think his way around that golf course and, and just you know at the height of his powers it was just awesome he was he was so good um I, I remember before that actually um John Daly winning as well uh, you know, for some mm. reason have a real big impression of that the the the, the 95 the uh, putt from Rocco um yeah you know through the valley of sin and that that made quite a big impact on me I think that was a, an open I watched pretty much all of and was just getting into golf age 13 or so. I can remember my parents watching it on the TV. And I even go far back to watching, uh, I can remember my family ran the TV, because it was free to air on BBC at the time with, with huge TV audiences. Um, you know, Faldo winning those Opens as well. I can remember that yellow jumper. I mean, you'll probably tell me which Open that was, but that, that yellow jumper, Muirfield was it? Or, Muirfield 87 yeah, at Muirfield. I can remember that one just about. And um, I can remember people, you know, wondering why they were getting excited on TV as he, as he did that. Um, but but more recently, probably 2006 at Royal Liverpool, an Open that might play mm-hmm. a little bit similar to this one where the course was hugely 
burnt out and i can't say the courses around here are just rock solid at the moment they're so burnt out so we could see a repeat of that a lot of irons from the tee so that that will be an interesting again that was tiger just taking apart a golf course uh thinking his way around it better than anyone else uh and then and then probably the most recent one that there's been the most exciting was was burtdale and harrington hitting that shot in oh, 17 yeah. with polter uh kind of dueling with polter quite a bit so they're, they're for me ones that stand out, um, you know, and obviously the the one which probably had the greatest duel ever in golf, um, most recently with with Stenton and and Mixon playing the highest quality of golf you could ever imagine coming down the stretch. Um, you know, they're they're um, they're the ones that really stand out. Oh, definitely. I think the 2016 Open at Truen will go down as being one of the, the truly great majors. I mean, the, the way those two guys played, it was just like you say, golf of the highest quality, and it was just a, it was it was genuinely you know staggering to watch, and it was something that is rare. You know, harking back to the 77 Open at, at Turnberry with Watson and Nicholas, and um, it was kind of of that same ilk. Two guys who kind of detached themselves from the field and were just going head to head. It was. Amazing to watch. I mean, the, the quality of golf that Stenson played, uh, particularly on that last day and also the Saturday, I mean, it's just incredible. It was unbelievable. And even last year's Open at Burtdale was incredible as well, where we saw Brandon Grace you know, make history by shooting 62. Uh, but also uh, we had that amazing, surreal uh, back nine uh, with Jordan Spieth, who appeared to have lost you know, the, the, his will on the front nine, fell apart, was seemingly facing disaster had that you know, drop in the practice range and after a 20-minute wait and uh, and produced a staggering goal from there. I mean, it's just I, I haven't seen anything quite like that in terms of the, the contrast, how quickly a player could turn his game around. Uh, maybe that 20-minute break he had sort of settled his brain down. I don't know. He, he, before that, he was in a kind of a, a, a spiral of, of despair. The, the championship had really slipped out of his hands, and uh, but he somehow grasped it back and broke Matt Kuchar's heart. It was a, a staggering finish, and of course, Spieth returns this year as a champion golfer of the year, defending his title at Carnoustie. And of course, as I referenced there, oh, and uh, earlier in the podcast, we had the chance to go and play Carnoustie earlier this year, uh, back in May. And many listeners will have heard our previous podcast where we discussed what it was like to play that course and the, how difficult it was, the challenge of it, how great it was, and the whole experience and what we kind of can expect from it this year at the Open and your thoughts on playing it and uh, what you took away from it. But kind of delving back into that discussion again, but from a little bit of a, a different angle. You know, for me, Carnoustie, it was always kind of... Um, it kind of goes back to the 99 Open, uh, which was certainly controversial and uh, it was obviously a very unusual week. Had a, a miraculous finish and Paul Laurie won, which is a great story and one that I think is underrated by many people. Uh, Van de Velde had the disaster, we all know that, but Paul Laurie's win was, was staggering. That round he played on the Sunday and the way he played the playoff and that four iron to the last hole, it was a, a great finish. He won that championship as well. But, you know, it's it was a course that that set up that week was so severe. The rough was so thick. There was really no graduated rough. It was a case of fairway, then just the jungle, and that was it. It was windy. The winning score was five over par for getting to the playoff. It was just a brutal week, and it became known as Carnasty. And I, I do think that the people at Carnasty wanted, have also wanted to kind of move away from that image ever since, where you know it was a, a stain on the golf course in the terms of it became renowned as being just the hard course, the difficult one, the tough one, which. 
they aren't the most attractive kind of adjectives or superlatives to be used on, on a golf course where I think they wanted to be known as, yeah, it's a tough course and it's difficult, but it's a great golf course. And I think it was, they felt somewhat boxed in by just being the hard one. They want to be the, the great one, one that is difficult, but one that is a fair test and a, a difficult test, but one that presents a, a real fair challenge and one that rewards great golf and will identify the best player of any given week. So Owen, from your perspective from this year, you know, obviously the, the setup's a little bit different back in May to what it is now. Um, but when you went there, you heard, you heard Carnegie's reputation as being what it was. So what were your kind of perceptions of the course after playing there as to, you know, did it match your perception of what the course was going to be like or was it a little bit different or or was it really, was it a, did it stand out to you as not just being a, a tough course but also a great one? Yeah, I think I think it is a great, a great, great golf course. And I think the, the perception you have of it is that the way it was portrayed and probably the way it played, to be fair, uh, was unfair at times, brutal, um, yeah. you know, uncompromising, all of those, all of those things. But actually it's, it's, it's quite a lot better than that. And I think the conditions obviously dictated um, those opinions. And actually when you play it and the rough certainly wasn't particularly up when we played it. So it's been pretty dry since. So I can't imagine it's going to be tons and tons. I think if you do it miles offline, there'll be a load of rough, but it, I don't think it'll be, it'll be brutal like it was in the past. And I think it's a very, very fair golf course and the players will like that a lot. And I think, yeah, it's that, that fairness, um, you know, coupled with how difficult it is and how well laid out it is, because it's a brilliant design, um, make it make it a great golf course. Yeah, certainly. And you mentioned a, a word there that the players like to use, you know, which is a fair golf course. And the ones that they always kind of reference on the open rota that, that would fit that uh, tend to be Muirfield and also Royal Birkdale. And indeed, I think Carnista this year will, will fit that as well. So what do the, what do the, the top players mean, Owen, when they say a golf course is fair? What does that mean for Sorry, a top player? Sorry, Kieran, I didn't quite get you there. Oh, sorry, um, I was about to say, yeah. you, you mentioned the word fair there, and the players would reference courses like Muirfield and Birkdale as being probably the fairest yeah, on the yeah. go- on the open rota. What do they mean? What well, I think they what mean they mean, that? especially when they talk about links golf courses, it, it, it just means being rewarded at the basic level, being rewarded for a good shot. Uh, I know that sounds overly yeah. simplistic and uh, maybe you know a little too obvious that you should you always reward you when you hit a good shot by definition but i think when there is predictability in the golf course as to how a ball will react when it hits the ground um that's when players feel they get rewarded for a good shot so if they, if they're hitting a drive down the middle on a links course and it lands and runs straight or lands and runs with the general lie of the ground the way the ground is the topography then they feel that they that's fair when it lands and they don't know whether it's going to kick left, right, sideways, stop dead, jump forward, whatever it might be, that's when they feel it's unfair. And the same goes hitting into greens. You know, if you know, we obviously saw the US Open. If they're hitting shots, they think are good shots, and then it gathers up. You know, speed. The greens are different speeds. The conditions have too much of an impact on the where the ball goes. Um, then they feel it's unfair. So predictability, I think, makes for fairness and you know, predictability makes for good shots being rewarded and players like that. Yeah, they do. I think kind of you mentioned the US Open there, kind of the, the criticism of that was the fact that good shots were getting the same results as not so good shots 
so that was kind of where it crossed the line and became you know not not a fair or not an acceptable test for the game's best players. And I think, but I think Carnisty will certainly uh, not be that. I think it's uh, from from what we felt when we were there on the ground and seeing the golf course. It was you know it's an extremely fair, solid, you know, just resolute test all the way around every hole. There's no kind of gimme holes in the golf course. They're all of a certain level. But you also feel that if you hit good shots, you can make a score around there. I think we have seen that in the past in certain conditions where players can make a score around there. You know, back in 2007 when the Open was there, we saw guys shoot 64 in good conditions there. But then again, when the, the wind picked up, it became the opposite. So again, like all the Great Links courses, the conditions are are paramount to how it's going to play throughout the week. But one thing that does stand out about Carnegie Owen are is a finishing stretch there. Uh, the last three holes in particular are renowned for being you know very testing. You know, with any lead uh, in your pocket, it's going to be tough to kind of close it out and secure the claret jug there. The 16th, 17th, and 18th, and indeed when we were actually at Carnegie, we filmed footage of Owen on the on those holes, playing those holes, or trying to play those holes and um, you know, talking through the challenge that they presented uh, for the, the Games Best players uh, this July. And it's certainly a, a great finish, one that is very distinct, one that will be talked about a great deal uh, during this year's Open. So when you were there, Owen, you played these holes and people can watch um, these videos on YouTube or on the Golf Shake website uh, throughout the, the build-up uh, to the Open Championship this year. So when you played those holes, Owen, you have a reputation as being you know, a formidable, tough test. So starting yeah. with the 16th, which is a very long and tough par three, you know, where does that rank among the most difficult par threes that you've seen? Uh, the hardest. <laughs> the hardest? It's the hardest, yeah. It's just, it's, it's so difficult. Um, there's not... I mean, you shouldn't have a disaster on there. I mean, I don't think you'll see fives and sixes and sevens, but I think you'll see a whole heap of fours. Um, it, it is really, really difficult. It's 248 yards long. Uh, the wind will play a massive, massive part in it. If it's into the wind, I don't know what I'll do with the tee, whether they'll move it up. If it if it's right into the wind and the pins at the back, I don't know what players will do. They're almost hitting driver in there. Um <laughs> you know, which is which is mad to think into a par three. I don't particularly like long par threes. Having said that, if it's playing hard and fast and it's not into the wind, it won't play its yardage. It kind of, you know, shoots downhill slightly, um, you know, and it, and it kind of will, will gather in the front of that green. But then as soon as you get past the front of the green, it's an upturned saucer. Um, so if you're not hugely accurate, you'll run off. And if you short-side yourself on an upturned saucer, you're going to have to have some serious touch. Um with, with with a kind of five or a six iron or a putter or a hybrid or a three wood, whatever it might be. So it, it's really, really tough to hit the green. Um, like I said, you have to land it short. It's green's going to be firm. You won't be able to land it on because, because you'll be coming in with so much club. Um, and at the front of the green, there's just a collection of bunkers where the lips are basically head height. So it's, it's brutal. It's just the test <laughs> is so, so difficult. You've just got to hit a great long iron or hybrid or three wood probably in there uh, to get any sort of reward. And I think if you make three on there four times, you'll pick up at least two or three shots on the field. I, I, would, I would say so. Uh, but one man who didn't do that uh, was, of course, Tom Watson back in the 75 Open that he won. He played that hole five times, four times in the championship, one time in the playoff, and he bogeyed it every single time. 
So and he still won the championship that year, but this shows you how difficult that hole is. And again, it is like a a very short par four, I guess you could say in, in, in reality. But of course, like you say, the the conditions that this year a little bit different to what we've seen in the past and previous opens at Carnoustie. But going to the seventeenth hole now, you walk off the green. One more thing yeah. on sixteen, Kieran. I just think there's a psychological factor to it in that you know you're starting a really really tough stretch of holes and. You know you can probably afford to bogey one of one of them, and but if you bogey the first one, you're then under massive yeah. pressure on the second and third one. So there's this psychological factor that actually, if I can get through this one with par, you know the confidence starts rising. If you get it through bogey, you think I could have a disastrous finish here. So there's an extra psychological element to the 16th, I think. Oh, I would say that's probably true. And also, when you're standing on that tee, you can literally see the 18th green. So the finishing line is right there. You can almost touch it, but you've got these three formidable holes to get there. So psychologically, it's intimidating in a variety of different ways. But when you walk off a 16th tee, you turn round again and you face the opposite direction, away from the hotel in the last hole, back down this uh, very interestingly laid out par four, a long par four, one where the Barry Byrne cuts in twice. Uh, the fairway is essentially like, an, like a little island in the middle of the whole thing. It's a very distinct uh, design, which is quite unique, I think, in, in the open rotation. So, oh, in that par 417, maybe it's somewhat overshadowed by the last hole, but 17, you know, that's not a gimme par either, is it? No, not at all. I think it's a bit fairer. Um, we talk about fairness. I think it gives you more of a chance um, than the, the other two holes in this stretch. And it's, it's certainly the easiest of the three. Um and it'll be really interesting to see what happens with it because generally, you know, the burn cuts cross at about 270. Um, you, can, you can certainly lay up short of that and then leave yourself a kind of mid to long iron in. Um, if it's downwind, um, you know, some players will lay up and, and they'll only be hitting sevens or eight times in because they'll bounce it in. Um, and But if it's into wind, it will be playing really, really tough. Still, it'll be very, very hard. Um, they'll be hitting a lot of club in there because they'll be forced to lay up. What will be interesting, though, is if it plays downwind and players decide to have a pop at knocking over the burn. Most of these players will be capable, if it's downwind, of knocking it over the burn. Uh, and they won't be far off the green if they do that. So it'll be, it'll be super interesting. It could be could actually play very easy a week or week, or if it's into the wind, suddenly they'll be hitting long irons in there and it'll be a bit, bit of a brute. So all depends on wind direction with this one. And you mentioned wind direction there and um, kind of... The opposite, of course, is like uh, the old course or Royal Troon, which are traditional out-and-back layouts. Carnoustie, the holes tend to interlink amongst themselves, a little bit like Muirfield, where the, every hole kind of plays at a different direction from the one before it and after it. So the, the wind direction changes in every hole. And on 16, the wind could be into you. You turn around, 17 could be downwind, but then 18 could be back into the wind, as indeed we faced when we were there, though, and you've played the 18th into the wind. And that hole is... People call it the most difficult, you know, finishing hole in championship golf. And when you stand there on that tee, you know, from the back tee, which Owen played from, he played from the open tee that year, five hundred uh, that month back in May, five hundred yards of of hole, and uh, you have the Barry Byrne cutting in. You have you know a very you know, it seems like a very narrow fairway, as such out of bounds, all the way up the left hand side, right to the green, perilously close to the green indeed. And of course, the burn is just short of the green. So. Oh, and playing that 18th hole, which for a, a, you know must have been an, an exciting prospect to kind of challenge yourself on that hole. But I mean, standing there with any sort of pressure on your shoulders, how 
can, how could anyone you know kind of cope with that on this hole? Well, they don't, do they? <laughs> That's the thing I was about to say. They don't, do they? We've seen so many disasters yeah. for the years. Well, it's interesting when I played it, and uh, yeah, I was obviously aware of Kanye Steve, having not played it before this year, and you kind of all the stuff you've seen on TV in the past, and all the issues that players have had w- with the hole have been with the burn. And I, I had no idea how close the out-of-bounds was down the left, especially coming up to the green. The green, the out-of-bounds to the left of the green is just mind-bogglingly close. It seems it seems absolutely ridiculous when you stand up there, actually, how close it is. So <laughs> because someone hasn't whacked it out of town, I I'm, I'm kind of wasn't that aware of it. Um, but that adds to the, the difficulty of the hole. Uh, and it's why so many go in the burn, because they tend to spray it right off the tee. Uh, the burn catches it. So... It, it, yeah, the challenge is, is immense. I can't imagine what would be going through a player's mind just playing it in general play, let alone actually, you know, having a chance to win the Open coming down the last. You know, if you've got a one-shot lead, you know, if you're the guy in the clubhouse and the guy's got a one-shot lead, you've got to fancy your chances of just winning in normal time and the guy doubling the hole, frankly. Mm. You've got a good chance of that happening. Um, a one-shot lead is not enough playing that hole, just not. If you make par down there with a one-shot lead, you deserve to win the Open because it's incredibly difficult. Oh, it is. And uh, that out of bounds. You know, I did warn you how close it was. You didn't believe I didn't me. Believe I said, it's that. right there. It's, no. And the green slopes <laughs> off down to it. So it's, Yeah, uh, I, I mean, the, the, there is there is ways to get lucky on the hole. You can, you can block your drive, get lucky, miss the burn. There are some bunkers up the right-hand side if it plays downwind when you're playing away from the out of bounds that will catch tee shots. Um, and there is, to a certain extent, bailout to the right of the green, so in the grandstand. Um, so there are ways you can kind of work your way around the hole and, and maybe take the advantage in drop zones. And, and if you've got a super sharp short game, you can probably get it up and down. So it, it's not it's not completely without compromise, but it is pretty, pretty brutal, frankly. Yeah, there's, there's, there's not kind of a, an easy shot there unless you sort of just said, I'm going to play it as a par five and play it as a free shot hole. And maybe then you can get round it. Of course, if you're trying to make a score, then that's not an option. And trying to force a, a, par, a par, imagine even trying to make a birdie in that hole. I mean, it's just you know, you're putting yourself at risk of creating such a disaster for yourself. But yeah, I, I think the green's yeah. not big. If you, if you hit the green, you're going to see some birdies because the green's not, the green's not huge. So I think. And it forces you to stand up and hit a good shot. So you you might find guys who are who are forced to hit a good shot actually actually playing the hole quite well. It's one of those you just got to stand up and psychologically psychologically say almost I don't care. I'm going to hit good goal swings on this, and what will be what will be. And you might find some guys play it quite nicely. But if if you back off the hole and it, you let it intimidate you, it's, there's going to be some disasters. There'll be, you know, be there'll be some upset people in interviews on. <laughs> You know, after the 18th, I'm sure. Oh, definitely. There'll be a few uh, walking off the interviews, I think, not even talking to the press afterwards. But uh, actually, I did reference it earlier, uh, but Owen, he mentioned disasters on that hole, but Owen himself avoided disaster on that hole, somewhat miraculously, it has to be said, and made a, an incredible par to finish off his round at Carnoustie. So, Owen, people can see that on the video on YouTube and on uh, Golf Chic website. But just quickly, how did you make par on the 18th hole at Carnoustie? Hold the fourth uh, fourth shot. Ah, that's not that, look. Oh, and that, that joke. <laughs> uh, everyone's made that joke before, and it's not funny. <laughs> so you know, come on. Uh, well, I hit a good drive. It was straight to win for about a 15, 20 mile an hour win. So <laughs> that, yeah. that is on a limit for me, really, to reach into, um, you know, into the win. 
hit a good tee shot over the burn. It's about 2.20, 2.30 to carry the burn, I think. First up uh, in the fairway. Uh, had 250 left into the green. 220 yards to carry the burn. And um, to be honest, in tournament play, I would, if I, if, you know, if I was playing the Open, which isn't going to happen, if I was, or I was playing a British amateur, or I was playing an elite amateur event there, whatever it might be, um, I would have laid up there, definitely. Because actually, if you lay up short of the burn, the burn's so close to the green, the front of the green, you lay up, you're not going to be very short of, even if you're quite cautious, you're not going to be very short of the green. And actually, it's a very simple pitch up the length of the green. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I think you'll feel, you'll see, if it plays into the wind, you will see quite a lot of guys lay up uh, and just pitch up the green. Their short games are so good that, you know, they're going to get up and down more than 50% of the time if they if they put a layup in the right position. Um, so you see guys do that. But I decided to have a go with a three-wood, um, hit it as hard as I could, hooked it maybe a touch, not not much, only a couple of yards left of the green. Um, and luckily it hit one of the thinnest out-of-bounds posts you've ever <laughs> seen in your life. So um, <laughs> you, just what you need, just when you're playing a, a social round, hitting out-of-bounds posts, it would never have happened in a medal. So would have been careering out of town, I've no, I've no doubt. But hit that and uh, made a nice two-putt from off the green to make par. So, yeah, quite satisfying, but a slice of luck, certainly. Uh, it certainly was. So, indeed, if you watch that video, listeners, uh, you will see uh, uh, Owen playing from a spot that not many guys will play from uh, during the Open, that left side uh, just at the out-of-bounds fence, because not many guys will have the same luck as Owen did and hit off the fence and rebound back into play. So, But, yeah, I think you earned that, though, for being aggressive. Your fortune favours the brave, and it did so there. So, yes, a, a great experience for us to uh, go to Carnist this year, and it gives us a little bit of insight behind what the players will face this year. But, as we said, it... As I've referenced many times, when we build towards this year's Open, what has really defined the British summer has been hot and dry weather. All across the country, courses are baked, they're brown, they're firm, they're fast. Even inland courses, but Lynx courses, of course, which are always that little bit firm, are now you know, running extremely fast. So that changes the whole kind of dynamic of how the course will play uh, during the championship. So, Owen, when you come to we see the, the championship this year, we don't often see the Open like this. You know, we saw it at Muirfield in 2013. You referenced Hoylake in 2006, Andrews in 2005. But really, it's not every year we see the Open running firm and fast. It's often a bit softer. Yeah. It certainly was at Birkdale last year, and indeed at Trun the previous year to that. So how will this hot and dry weather, how will that change the character of the golf course? How will that affect the strategy of the players? And will that perhaps even reward a different kind of player to what would have been likely to succeed previously yeah i think it's gonna play it's a it's a funny one when courses gets baked out like this i think it plays uh you can hit less club off the tee and that's going to help them quite a bit um because the bunkering is so good it's best bunker course i've ever played there's bunkers either side at driving distance um but you've got a chance to put it put it through or lay it up short or or that kind of thing so you're going to have to manage your way round the golf course. It'd be interesting to see whether anyone tries to overpower it and hits driver. It really depends on how thick the rough is. Uh, we won't know that until we get up there next week and just have a look at it. Um, but I think it will allow players to place the ball into position a lot more. So it is a long golf course. If it was playing wet, I think the long hitters would, would come into it, into their own. But I think this way, it opens it up to the entire field. And there'll be guys who can think the way around. There's some, maybe some of the shorter hitters that have a bit more accuracy that can put the ball into play. Um, 
maybe control their distances, short, you know, off the tee especially, uh, control them, control it around the bunkering. Um, and I think I think they have been brought into the Open a lot more than maybe the last few Opens where it's been a bit wetter. Uh, Lent's played a bit of a mm-hmm. bit of a part in it. Um, so I think yeah, it opens the entire field up, and I think it'll be interesting to see how the players manage into the greens with it being so firm and some of the bounces you you might get or how you have to play it running into the greens um you know they won't be used to this sort of golf you know they won't be dropping and stopping it on the green so it'll be really interesting to see how how someone manages their way around a golf course and you know i mentioned it before the way that woods managed his way around in 2000 and 2006 uh, you'll see someone win probably like that rather than you know, uh, lots of drivers um, and some some great iron playing to the greens. So I th- it'll be interesting to see a different open to what we've had recently, certainly. Uh, definitely, and the one that's certainly interesting, and I think, it, like you say, it's a, a test that the players don't normally see. A lot of the guys have never really played golf like this before. Um, so, yeah, it'll, it'll be intriguing to watch. But you mentioned there, obviously, people always say that you know, Lynx courses are kind of the, a ball striker's paradise, where it's about guys who can control the ball flight and hit the ball well off this lovely firm turf, and uh, it rewards a good strike. Is that even more paramount when the golf course is firm where – any spin you can get on the ball is essential. Otherwise, the ball will run for miles. So it, does a, a firmer and faster links course reward the great ball strikers more than another course would? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah it definitely does. I mean, that being said, it doesn't matter how good a ball strike you are. If you're not in the fairway, um, you, won't, you won't spin the ball and you'll struggle on conditions like these. So first part, hit the fairway and then your ball striking will come into its own. Um, it's as simple as yeah. that. So. That's, if you don't if you don't put it in the fairway around here, you'll either be in a pot bunker and you'll be splashing it up there, you know, and, and making lots of bogeys, or, or you'll be in the rough and with the firm conditions, you'd be having to land it so short that judgment becomes, you know, not impossible, but really, really difficult. So, you know, look to a guy who's going to hit it straight off the tee, first and foremost, uh, and, and, and then they can go from there. And then and then maybe look at ball strikers after that. But um, first and foremost, yeah, hit Hit, thinking well and hitting it in the right place from the tee is going to be um, paramount. Yes, indeed. Uh, so looking at some of the, the, the key players, obviously you know, the Bookies have their, their, their pretty standard favourites to the majors, the likes of Dustin Johnson, Rory McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, the defending champion, of course, has had a, a pretty mediocre year, apart from his remarkable run at the Masters this year. Apart from that, he's done very little. Struggled in the greens, which seems an odd thing to say for him, but he has done. His ball striking remains very good, but he's not getting the most out of his game right now. Of course, missed the cut at the US Open, as indeed did Rory. So, picking out those three players right now, Owen, you know, Dustin Johnson, Rory McIlroy and Jordan Spieth, which of those three do you see as being the most likely contender at the Open? Uh, Dustin. Dustin, yeah. Yeah, because I think when 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 there is a hole that's on to really take it on, he's got he's got the ability and power to, to do it, and obviously you know Rory does as well. But I just think he he actually you know he, you know he's not he's not known for maybe being the brightest. That's probably fair to say. But um, I think he thinks pretty well around the golf course. He obviously knows how to play to golf his ball, as the Americans like to call it, you know, he, he kind of, he, he plays golf really, really well. He maximizes quite often his score. And I just think he's going to be able to hit a lot of irons when he wants to. Um, he hits quite a flat ball flight. This ball's going to run for miles off the tee. So he can hit quite a lot, you know, a lot less bat than a lot of guys off the tee. That's going to make him more accurate by, by definition. And he's going to hit a lot of fairways. And 
and he's a great ball striker. So um, I just, yeah, I think he's one of the, you know, the favourites. He has got to be right up there. Oh, definitely. And um, like you say there, I think his kind of reputation is, is uh, his maybe intellectual, a little bit overstated that he clearly knows what he's doing. You know, he's clearly an a supreme player, but also he has a fantastic golf brain. Uh, maybe because he doesn't overanalyze it, perhaps that's what it is. But I think he he's a shrewd enough character. We kind of, uh, some people overstate that. And uh, I shall not reprimand you for using the expression, golf your ball on this podcast, Owen. So just make sure that's, that's the last time that's ever heard and ever said in this podcast, because it's one of those things I would love to ban permanently a little bit like people who call football footy it's not good it's not happening i'm not having that it's not footy it's football so that's it so i've, I've got my pet peeve my pet peeves and that's one of them but rory of course he was a low amateur here back in 2007 when he was 18 years old with curly hair and slightly chubby cheeks and he was a great player back then he, he was a low amateur shot 67 on the first round there as a teenager and that was his introduction to the open and for many people actually the first time they really saw him play so yeah. if he was able to kind of find his form and, and win here it'd be quite a nice symmetry to that and jordan speed of course who hasn't had a great season but always remains yeah. capable you never know with his uh, mental strength what he could pull out there you can't, but... write. You can't write speed off can you? you just can't write speed off he just no. you know he too He's too good at these moments to um, to write off, and he just he's the sort of guy who hangs around, gets in the mix, and then and then finds something special. So, you know, I'd, I'd you know if you're putting him in order, it'd be Dustin, Spieth, then then Rory at the moment. Mm. But I think uh, a pretty strong, formidable threesome right now uh, of guys who have played well on links courses before. They've got major pedigree. They've also you know, they're also fantastic ball strikers, all three of them. And that would be Justin Rose, who obviously is trying to become the first English winner of the Open since since Nick Faldo uh, back in uh, back in the day. And uh, we also have, you know, Ricky Fowler there, uh, who's played very well in the Open throughout the years, enjoys the conditions. He loves Lynx golf. He's won the Scottish Open. He, you know, he, he's played well at Royal St. George's. He played well at Royal Liverpool. He's a guy who we always kind of think seems capable of playing well and winning an Open. And Tommy Fleetwood, who, of course, came so close to winning the US Open back at Shinnecock. You know, a guy who, again, a fantastic ball striker, who's become one of the best players in the world in the last couple of years. So looking at that, that, that threesome there, Owen, you know, with Rose, Fowler and Fleetwood, you know, Rose obviously is a guy who seems to prime his game around the majors more so than most. Uh, but even though, of course, he did, of course, have that amazing debut in the Open 20 years ago as a teenager, finishing high up there at Burtdale. But his record in the Open since then hasn't really been that great. Do you think that will change this week? Uh, no, I don't. I don't. No. I don't. No, I don't like Rose for the Open very much. <gasps> I just think his game's really suited to American, you know, these parkland courses, and I think he's. I don't say he can't win it. Of course he can win it. He's, he's one of the best players in the world. There's no reason he can't win it and adapt his game and so on. I just I just think there's players more likely. Um, mm-hmm. Golf's really hard to predict. Uh, so, well, indeed. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just I just don't think he's quite got the game somehow, whether the courses don't fit his eye, whatever it might be. I just think he's incredibly suited to uh, US and Parkland golf, and he's brilliant at it. Um I'm probably doing him a disservice there, but um, you know, so I, I think he's less likely uh, than the other two in that group uh, to do well. 
Ah, interesting. So we'll wait and see if Justin can prove Owen wrong at Carnoustie mm. this year. But yeah, Ricky Fowler, I think, does always stand out in the Open, though he hasn't really had uh, the most spectacular season so far. But when you come to the Open Championship, he always seems to find a way of getting into the mix at some point. Though, of course, hasn't crossed the line. And the longer it takes, the harder it becomes. But one guy, again, who stands out there, and obviously we have the likes of Justin Thomas, who can't be discounted. You know, John Ram, who, of course, has all the tools Maybe not necessarily the temperament at times, but in terms of his natural ability and the skill he has, you know, John Ram is a, a, an unbelievable player and is capable of essentially just about anything on a golf course. Uh, a fantastic player to watch. He, of course, had a great run at the Irish Open at Ballyliffin. Um, amazing kind of finish that played the last few holes in, or I think the last um, 15 holes in nine under par, I think it was in the end. So quite amazing. Uh, but obviously, Tiger Woods, who you referenced there before, Owen. The 2006 Open, 2000 Open, he manages manages games so well, irons off the tee, you know, supreme ball striking, supreme strategy, picked the course apart and just you know, won brilliantly there. Mm. And Tiger, who we've seen this year, you know, he's at different times displayed different parts of his game very well. He's driven the ball well at times, he's hit the ball very well at times, he's putted well at times, but of course, other occasions he hasn't done so. Uh, his putting has been particularly problematic of late, uh, but his ball striking seems very good for the most part. So when Tiger comes to the Open, obviously we've seen him in two majors this year, didn't do very much. That said, we're still only six months into his comeback, and the fact that we're talking about Tiger Woods as being a potential contender seems quite incredible from where he was a year ago. It's quite remarkable he's back in his position. But Tiger, with the way he had the experience he has, with the way the golf course is set up, and the way it's running and fast. Is Tiger a genuine contender at Carnoustie? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, of course he is. He is. Um, he keeps knocking on the door, doesn't he? He's not far. He's really not far away. His his putting was the big thing that concerns me. But I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of pressure that he'll be putting on himself now to to win. Um, and I think he'll see these conditions and be licking his lips. I think he's he's, he's primed in his ball striking. He doesn't have to hit many drivers if he doesn't want to. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not sure what his record is around Carnoustie. You know, maybe you can tell me, Kieran. But I, I just think, yeah, he, it is set up for him to hit a lot of irons and think his way around the course. I'm just a bit concerned about his putting uh, as to whether, mm-hmm. in the moment, under the pressure, um, he he can deliver on, on that side of things. And he's he's a bit of a slow starter quite often in the Open. Um, I think if he can get if he can get a couple of solid rounds under his belt, uh, get into Saturday maybe in the top you know, 10, 12, um, I think he's, he's got a really, really, really good chance. And he's got to win once, you know, sooner or later. I think he'll probably win a PGA Tour event before he really gets competing again mm-hmm. in a major. But, you know, you don't know. He might well get up there. So um, there's no reason why he can't. He's one of the best players in the world right now. I can't see any way he's not going to get picked for the Ryder Cup. Um, and, <laughs> you know, I, you know I, you'd want him in the team, wouldn't you? It's crazy if he, you know, he'll definitely play. Um, he's one of the best players in the world right now. Every time he plays, he's, he's competing. So um, there's no reason why this is just another golf event in a lot of ways. I know, I know that seems silly to say, but it is, and there's no reason why he won't compete. No, there isn't. And uh, like you say there, I think uh, maybe taking the driver out of his hand at certain times will help him. Uh, it'll, it'll take that kind of destructive shot that he, he occasionally has uh, out of his game. And uh, again, he, he keeps... He, if Tiger is on the fairway... He's still as good as anybody from there in the world. And uh, if he can do that, then I think he has a very good chance of uh, 
putting together some some pretty formidable scores around Carnoustie and getting into contention. And again, like you say, it's about can he hold his nerve there? But that's always the question in a major for anybody. Uh, you know, Tiger, we haven't seen him really in that position for so long now in a big, big event. Uh, but again, he has that amazing back catalogue of experience that nobody else has. And maybe that will still count for something if he gets into that back nine with a chance on the final day. So actually, kind of on Tiger as well, where uh, obviously he's played so well this year at times, he's surpassed really any realistic expectations. We didn't really know what to think when Tiger is coming back this year. The fact that he's playing regularly, consistently finishing in the top 10, he's still a little bit away off winning a tournament in terms of uh, he's kind of missing out on a maybe one shot or two shots per round on the leader as he's finishing maybe seven or eight shots behind every single time, but he's still you know very consistent and uh, he's getting better all the time. So but do you think that of all the four majors, obviously he has a great record at the Masters, but do you think perhaps in his kind of twilight of his career that the Open could be the one where he has the best chance of winning more often in the future? Um, yeah, you, I mean, you see that. <coughs> you saw that with Tom Watson. You know, obviously, you know, he's pretty competitive round, round Open venues later in his career. I, th- I do agree with that totally. I think it's, uh, you know... Lynx Golf is quite often about experience, although the Americans seem to come over and do pretty well at it. Frankly, um, they, all, they all moan about it, and every time they turn up and seem to seem to do really well. So I'm not quite sure why they moan quite so much. But I think he loves Lynx Golf. I think he's excited to come and play it. And I think for a man who's won and achieved everything in his career, something that still excites him as he gets older is going to be really, really important. Um, and I think coming over and having that challenge and being able to play unusual shots and, and think about the golf course differently compared to the course he's playing week in, week out. It's going to be really important for him. Um, you know, and I, and I think that, that all, all that experience, all that excitement over, over of coming and playing this type of golf is going to count for a lot for him, um, you know, as the years go on. And yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And when you get a burnt out golf course like this, where he can just put it in play, you know, he is going to be a real threat, you know, for quite a few years now, if he stays fit. So, um, yeah, I expect to see him compete. It's really, really exciting, isn't it? The fact that he's here in form. Um, you know, we haven't seen it for a while at the Open. I think he's got a real chance. Yeah, definitely. You know, the last Open he played in was uh, at St Andrews in 2015, where he, he he missed a cut. He played terribly, and um, he made a what was it, a six in the first hole, easily done at the old course. Oh, and it's very easy to do that. And um, he had a, a pretty poor, a pretty disappointing experience there, but he's back, he's fit, he's healthy. He's a far better player uh, than he was three or four years ago. He's in a far better physical state. And he's probably actually in the, in the best state he's been uh, for at least five years when he was last world number one. Uh, and that, actually that, that year at Muirfield, he was in contention going into the last day and he kind of fell apart on a Sunday, but he was still in the mix there. And that showed that on that kind of firm, fast course, you know, Tiger's still a major threat. And I think he will be potentially this week. So that, again, that's another yeah. exciting subplot amongst many others. In terms of other players who could do very well here, Henrik Stenson has an injury. He was driven the Scottish Open. We'll see how that kind of heals up. But certainly, as he showed two years ago, he's got the game to win an Open. You know, Jason Day's won on the PGA Tour a couple of times this year. A guy who's always capable of playing very well in a major. Sergio, who came so agonisingly close to winning here back in 2007, hasn't had the, the greatest of seasons. But again, in the Open, he's got a fantastic record. Has, I think, 10 top 10s in the Open throughout uh, the years. And actually, that's the most top tens without winning 
of, of, since players of, of players since about 1912 or something like that. And that's a stat from uh, Justin Ray of the, the Golf Channel. So Sergio has kind of the best record of anybody who hasn't won the Open in the modern era. And Francesco Molinari, who's played great recently, won at Wentworth. He won on the PGA Tour. He's you know, ball striking. He's always been fantastic, but now he's passing much better than before. He's one. Of, he's right now. He's one of the best players in the world, and you have to feel he's certainly a potential good fit for Carnoustie. Patrick Reed, the Masters champion, is also a great competitor. Showed up again at Shinnecock in contention there. Uh, maybe he's a, a big time sort of player. And Mark Leishman, a guy who seems to play well in the Open throughout the years. He lost in a playoff at St Andrews in 2015. So all of that kind of next bracket of players, Owen, who do you see maybe kind of, kind of coming through the pack and maybe surprising the, the big favourites at Carnoustie? Uh, Garcia would be my pick, I think. Yeah. I think. Loves the loves Carnoustie. Did, I think did he do well in '99 as well? Well, no. Well, actually, in '99, Owen was the complete opposite, where he was yeah, only an amateur and he shot. I think it was '89 or something like that, and he okay. went off the course and was crying. So that's so <laughs> he's had uh, good and yeah, bad memories. Bad. Actually, I just, I just, probably mostly bad, given the way he lost the Open in '07. But he has, I guess, unfinished business with this golf course. Yeah, and I think he fits into you know the same as Tiger. Actually, he's very long. He's a great ball striker, and I think he fits into what we were saying in that bracket of, of players with, with really good length, um, but a great, great ball strikers with the iron play as well. You know, Garcia is one of the very best ball strikers in, in the entire world. Um, so I, I just think it's kind of made for him. He hasn't had a brilliant year, but, you know, it doesn't, you know, he's a great player. Um, it doesn't, doesn't take a, doesn't mean that he's not going to turn up and play well at Carnoustie because he, because he hasn't played great this year so far. So, I think he would be my pick of, of that rest um, to do really, really well. Um, the other one I think the, that you mentioned earlier is maybe in one of the higher brackets is Tommy Fleetwood. Um, mm-hmm. Made for him. It's just made It's just made for him. This <laughs> of course, you know, maybe the best ball striker in the world. I think a lot of his peers, certainly on the European tour, think he's the best, certainly the best ball striker in Europe. Um, grew up in Southport uh, on Lynx golf courses, you know, all surrounded by world-class links courses. I just just think he would have seen these conditions before. Brilliant, brilliant ball striker. I just I think it can. If there was a tournament and a major made for Tommy Fleetwood, it would be this one. Um, so yeah, those two for me um, really stand out. But Tiger falls into that bracket as well. You know, he's one of the longest on tour right now yeah. and a great ball striker. So there's there's a few players that could win it, but those those three certainly fall into that bracket that we're talking about. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned Tommy Fleetwood there, who you missed out on one important detail, Owen, is that who is the course record holder at Carnoustie? Yeah, Tommy, Tommy Fleetwood. Fleetwood. At the, at yes. Yep. He shot 63 uh, yeah. last year at Dunhill. Admittedly, very different conditions. It was softer, you know, autumn time, uh, kind of a, a more receptive course at that time of year than it would be now. But still, it's nice history to How have. How good thoughts are you going to have about this golf course? Though? It's, you know... Yeah, I, I, yeah, he's hard to look past, to be honest, this week. Yeah, he certainly is a major week. contender, as yeah. we saw at Shinnecock, where he came so close to winning or getting into, into a playoff, at least there, with uh, Brooks Kepka. So those are the contenders for the Open this year. There's so many of them, so many potential storylines. All sets up so well this year. You know, a fantastic venue, one of the truly great championship golf courses, one of the great setups, uh, a great setting. Also, you know, again, so many potential winners, Great stories there. So it really has all the potential 
to be a fantastic Open this year as someone looks to etch their name into history on the Claret Jug and become the champion golfer of the year. So it's all set up to be fantastic, Owen. So I think we can probably expect that Todd Hamilton is going to win again this year and come through the pack and surprise everybody. Maybe not. However, no offence to Todd, but Todd's name is on the Claret Jug and it deservedly is there. I don't mean to to be offensive to uh, poor Todd, but he uh, earned his right to be on the the Claret Jug, as they all have done through the years. And I think it's probably the greatest honour in golf to be on that famous old trophy amongst so many great players throughout basically the centuries. And actually one name uh, this year, one player who who is on the Claret Jug, who will very likely be playing in the Open for the final time this year, this is a side note, is Sandy Lyle, who is 60 years old, his exemption for the Open uh, which he won in 1985, ends this year. Uh, Sandy Owen has played in 43 Open Championships. Can you believe that? That's Isn't that amazing? 43. That's staggering. That's just ridiculous. 43. That's, 43. Yeah, so, that's a lot. <laughs> so he made his debut when he was 16. That's, yeah, that's and, uh, that is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And again, Sandy, a guy who I think maybe history-wise we kind of forget about where we forget – just how good he was uh, for a certain period in 1980s where he became the first British player to win the Open in 16 years when he won at Sandwich back in 1985. Then, of course, he won. He was the first European to win the Players' Championship. Then, of course, a year later, he won. He was the first Brit to win the Masters at Augusta National. For that three or four-year period, he was probably uh, the best player in the world. And, you know, as uh, Sevi Ballesteros said that uh, Sandy was the greatest God-given talent in history. If everyone played to their best, Sandy would win <laughs> and I would finish second. So so as far as, far as Sevi was concerned, Sandy Lyle was the most talented player ever. Uh, but unfortunately, Sandy's game kind of declined in the early 90s and um, he never quite got it back, but he still plugs away and he, he's still capable of shooting some decent scores at times. Uh, this will probably be his last Open. But again, he's played in every Open since 1977. Made his debut in 74 when he was 16 years old. Back indeed when he was wow. playing under the banner of England. <laughs> of course, when he turned professional, he took he took the, the, the banner of Scotland and that's what he represented ever since. So Sandy Lyle, one of the game's great gentlemen, one of the game's great all-time players from the UK, will be playing his last Open this year. So if you're attending the Open um, this year, Go and watch Sandy finish off. If it's on the Friday, hopefully it's on the Sunday. Uh, but if whatever it is, go and watch him finish off and uh, end his open career in style. Because you know, playing in forty-three opens, I mean, that's just a staggering record. And I, I think uh, I don't think it'll be hard to think of many people who will ever get close to that total ever again. So that's uh, an amazing record to have. So yeah, Sandy Lyle, his final open this year. So we wish him well there. So yes. Closing up now, uh, as I say, the Open Championship this year, we have lots of coverage on Golf Shake. We have Owen's videos from Carnoustie. We have uh, content, of course, previews, picks, all the rest of it. So all of your kind of open needs will be satisfied on Golf Shake as we build towards the, the great showpiece that is the 147th Open Championship. But of course, you might also be going out to, to play some golf throughout uh, July. And indeed, we would encourage you to go and track your stats and scores on the Golf Shake Score Tracker. There will be a campaign coming to Golf Shake imminently this summer. So look out for that as well. And uh, much to enjoy on Golf Shake throughout the rest of the summer, which has been to date 
one of the best in recent memory. So hopefully the good weather keeps up and you can get out there and play against Owen. Thank you for joining me on this Open Championship podcast. And uh, for once I can say, I'll see you next week. I will, yeah. We'll see you next week in uh, in sunny St. Andrews. You will indeed. And let's hope the sun is shining there. And who knows, perhaps when this uh, podcast goes to, date, goes to air, England may have won the World Cup. Or they may have not. Hmm. We shall see. It's coming home. Time Kira. will tell. It's coming home. It's com- oh, it's, you had to say it. <laughs> it's, it's coming home, perhaps. One thing is for sure, though, the Open Championship is coming home to Scotland. So until next time, everybody, thank you for listening and enjoy the Open. Cheers. <laughs>